How's everybody doing today? Uh, it's good to see you. I don't know if you're clapping for me or you're clapping because announcements are finished, but at any rate, hey, there's a lot happening and it's all good here at the Bridge Church. I'm excited about a lot of people getting baptized. You know, second service, have a lot of folks showing up for second service because of water baptisms, but I'm glad that you're here with us in first service today. Let's dive right into God's word today. Last week, I shared a message, and there was more in, in the scriptures that, that I wanted to get to, which I didn't have time to do. So I decided to kind of make a two-week mini-series out of the topic, down but not out. Down but not out. And we're reading from Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 11 talks about great things of faith and great people of faith and how they walked and lived by faith. Chapter 12 tells us how to overcome the things that keep us from walking in a strong faith with God. And last week we talked about three main things. Number one, let us lay aside every unnecessary weight and anything that interferes with our faith. Number two, we talked about running our race, our individual race, our personal race with endurance and enduring the challenges of life. Number three, we said we need to follow the example of Jesus and look to him and consider how he ran his race because in all of this God is trying to teach us his ways so I want to pick up right there and I, I want to get back into it today and I want to talk today specifically about how do I recover from a knockdown how do I recover from a knockdown I used the illustration last week when, when I was a kid my dad used to love to watch boxing on television so we watched a lot of boxing and the thing that you look for in boxing is not just, you know, the style and how guys go at it, but you want to see some guy hit the other guy and knock him to the ground. You want to see somebody get knocked down and knocked out. But one of the things that happens is when they get knocked down, the referee steps in and starts counting. One, two, three. And if you can't get up before they get to ten, you're out. You're knocked out. But if you can get back on your feet, you can get back into the fight. So how do you recover from a knockdown? The truth is, everybody gets knocked down in life. You know, last week, here, here's a great illustration. Last week, I gave you, I think, four things from Scripture, four different kinds of challenges we're going to face according to Scripture. Last night, I discovered a fifth challenge. I had to go put gas in my wife's car. <laughs> Anybody bought gas? Anybody get knocked down buying gas? It was a little bit of a shock to pay $5.65 for a gallon of gas. But I want to dive into this today. Hebrews chapter 12. I want to look at some things real closely for the next few minutes. Hebrews 12. and Skip down to verse number 12 because we're going to pick it up right here. And the first word in verse 12 is therefore, which means it connects what we already talked about last week, what I just uh, mentioned. It connects with where we're going now. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees. Now, I want us to pause here at the end of verse 12 before we move on, because I want you to get a picture in your mind of these words. Strengthen, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. One of the things I saw a lot of growing up watching boxing with my dad was when somebody got knocked down, Oftentimes, they would get back on their feet as quickly as possible, and they were like this. 
Their defenses are down. They're wobbly. They can't get their head straight. And as soon as the referee says, start the fight again, they are prey to being hammered and knocked out. And I think a lot of us get knocked down in life and we get back on our feet and it's kind of like this. And we don't understand what we need to do to recover from a knockdown. He said, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. In, in other words, for a fighter, they would tell you, you need to get the cobwebs out of your head and you get, need to get your legs back under you. I think that's what the, the writer here is referring to. You need to get yourself prepared before you jump back into the fight. And I think after a knockdown in life, there are two significant parts to recovery that Scripture talks about right here. That next verse, verse 13, I want you to notice what it says. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. What is God's will for us when we get knocked down in life? It's to collect our thoughts, figure out what happened and why, strengthen the things that are there, get healed, and then get back into the battles of life. That's what God wants us to do. But we got to understand the two parts to our recovery. Number one, heal the injuries. Find healing for our injuries. You know, when you get knocked down in life, sometimes you really do get injured. A lot of times it's not physical. It's mental. It's emotional. Sometimes it's spiritual. But when you get damaged, when you get hurt and injured, you've got to take the time to rest and to heal in order to fight a good fight. And sometimes, you know, we jump back in the race and we just keep running down the same road and bam, we get hammered again. Through the years, pastoring and dealing with people, it's amazing how many people live from one crisis to the next because they never learn to get healed and get whole and move forward in the battles of life. And unhealed injuries will create greater injuries. Physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Several years ago, when I was a little bit younger, I'm, I'm still young, but when I was a little bit younger, I was playing softball like two times a week in two different softball leagues. And one week, uh, won't go through all the details, but I really messed up one of my ankles. I mean, I severely sprained it. It was a bad upper ankle sprain. And it, it knocked me out of commission really for like six weeks before I could really play ball again. But what happened was, it happened on a Saturday morning. And my ankle swelled up. I mean, it was just huge. It was black and blue. The next morning I woke up, I couldn't hardly move it. I couldn't put pressure on it. I got in the shower. I had to go preach that Sunday. I went and preached services. Went through the whole day Sunday. Got on a plane on Sunday night. Flew back to a different part of the country to go to a conference. And I hobbled around on that messed up ankle for several days. And then for several weeks. Well, months later, I went to this friend of mine who I'd played softball with. He was a chiropractor. I went to him and I said, hey, I'm having some problems with my lower back. Can you check me out and see if you can fix this? He checked me out and he said, well, why are you limping? I said, I'm not limping. See, my ankle had healed. I said, I'm not limping. He said, yeah, you are. I said, no, I'm not. He said, yes, you are. Get up and walk across the room. I walked across the room and he said, you're limping. 
I said, no, I'm not. He said, yes, you are. He said, something's wrong. And so he, he laid me down on this table and he began to mash on the calf on the one leg that had been injured. It was funny. I injured it down here. But in that recovery time, I learned to walk differently to protect that ankle. And as a result, it caused problems here. And it was all knotted up and I walked with limp. Well, after about 15 minutes of torture of him rubbing out that muscle and getting that muscle relaxed, I realized when you get hurt, you need to get healed. And some of us have learned to live with hurt rather than find healing for our hurts. So if we're going to get healthy, if we're going to recover and get back into the battle of life, number one, We've got to heal the injuries. But then number two, the second thing the scripture talks about is we need to correct the paths that got us where we were. You know, I, I, I watched it so many times as a kid with my dad. When a fighter would get beaten, hammered for several minutes in a round, when the round was over and he staggered back to his corner and sat down, his manager or somebody, the trainer, somebody get up and say, hey, when he moves this way, you've got to move this way. When he does this, you've got to get your, your guard up. When he does this, you've got to... They start speaking correction into his life. I mean, the guy's getting hammered, and they're telling him, you've got to correct these things. If you don't, you're going to just keep getting hammered. And I think sometimes in life, when we get hurt, we get knocked down, we don't take the time to stop and say, how did I get knocked down? And why did I get knocked down? All we know is I got knocked down, it hurt, but I got back to get up in the race and go forward. How did I get knocked down and why? Because you see, if it was my actions or my lack of certain actions that got me knocked down, if I don't correct all of that, I'm going to get knocked down again and the damage is going to be worse the next time. So we need to get healed and then we need to correct the things that put us where we were. Let me give you a couple quick illustrations of this from Scripture. In the ministry of Jesus, one day they brought a woman to him. Everybody knows the story. She was taken in adultery. They were going to stone her, and Jesus said, fine, let's stone her. And he's sitting there writing in the dirt, and one by one, all the critics begin to walk away and just drop their, their stones and, and leave. And Jesus said to the woman, where are your accusers? And she raised her head and looked around and said, they're all gone. Nobody's here. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. What he said was, you need to correct your pathway. There's no condemnation. I'm extending forgiveness to you, but you need to take that and correct the paths that got you where you are. Is anybody hearing this today? Sometimes if we'll examine the pathway we've been on, we'll find out what put us where we are. What is it they say? The definition of stupidity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. If the path's not working, we need to choose a different path. And then one more story. In John 21, we find that Jesus is about to appear to the disciples after he's been resurrected. And they've been out fishing. And they fish all night and they've caught no fish. And they're coming in with the boats. You know, they're not far from land. And they got the net on the left side of the boat and they're just fishing. Keep pulling it up. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And Jesus cries out to them and said, hey, have you got anything to eat? And they said, man, we fished all night and caught nothing. And Jesus said, you need to throw your nets over on the right side of the boat. When they did, they caught so much fish, they couldn't even bring it all in. Can I tell you something? 
If the path you're on is not working, maybe you need to throw your net on the other side of the boat. Maybe you need to correct a path and get on the right path. And God's word is full of correction. Zach and I refer to this constantly. The psalmist said, your word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. It shows me where I am. It shows me where I need to go next. So sometimes we need to stop and get healing. And then we need to correct the path that put us where we are. Then the second thing, the second part of this message, look at verse 14. Hebrews 12, verse 14. Next, he says, pursue peace with all people. Pause a moment. Pursue peace. It literally means to press forward. To press forward into peace with people. Press forward. It, it pictures a little bit of work. How many of you have learned that sometimes relationships are work? And it takes some pressing forward. But a lot of us press forward for our own purposes, for our own selfishness, for our own will. But the writer here says we need to press forward. We need to pursue peace with people. Then he goes on and says, pursue peace with all people and holiness or purity without which no one will see the Lord. Now, I want to talk for a few minutes in this message about correcting damaged relationships. Correcting damaged relationships. Most of us aren't taught how to do this well. Scripture tells us, Jesus told us how to do this. But it's still work. You have to pursue peace to have peace. And you know, it it takes work to build a peaceful life. It does. It takes work to have a peaceful life. But a peaceful life is made up of peaceful relationships. And I know you could spend six weeks here talking about relationships. I don't have six weeks, but I want to give you some things from Scripture that I think will help you. We're instructed here to pursue, to press forward to peace in every relationship. Matthew 5, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Sometimes you've got to make peace before you can have peace. Which takes a conversation. Sometimes a bit of a conflict. But if we deal with things correctly, we can move from conflict to understanding to agreement to peace. And I'm going to tell you something. True Christianity is tested and then proven in two arenas. Number one, it's how I get along with God. How I get along with God. How I build this relationship with God. How I learn to live life with God's involvement. And then the second way Christianity is tested and proven is how I get along with people. When you see a follower of Jesus who can't get along with people and have healthy relationships, something's wrong. What's well, quiet here today? And it should be. It should be. Because Scripture gives us 
some instructions here that I think are really important that maybe some of us haven't learned. So I think this morning, maybe we can ask ourselves, have I learned? Everybody say learned. Have I learned to build peaceful relationships? See, what I found about people who don't have peaceful relationships is they always have somebody else to blame. But peaceful relationships have to be pursued. We have to learn how to live in relationship with people. We've got to learn how to be honest. Honesty is so important. It's interesting in, in this verse it says pursue peace with all people and holiness or purity. You see purity before God opens up my relationship with God. And here's why. You can't hide anything from God. He already knows everything. So we go to God and we think, well, I'm not going to talk about this. I'm not going to talk about this. I'm not going to talk about this. And if I don't talk about it, God won't know. Yeah, he does. And a lot of times, you know, God's sitting there and we're talking to him, giving him our wish list, laying it all out. And God's just sitting there thinking, this is not what we need to be talking about. Until we talk about that, I don't want to talk about this. Hello? You see, he said, if we don't have holiness or purity before God, God won't reveal himself to us. If we got stuff in our hearts that's not right, it keeps us from seeing God as he is. It keeps God from revealing himself to us. Holiness or purity is the godly life I live and how that affects every relationship in life. Remember, Jesus said it. When he's asked one day, what's the greatest commandment? He said, well, what do you think? The greatest commandment is you love God with everything you've got. The second commandment is you love people the way you love yourself. So I need to learn to build an honest, pure relationship before God. And when I do that, then it begins to affect the way I do relationships with people. You can get knocked down. But you'll never be successful in rebuilding your life and getting strong again if you don't learn to live in holiness to God and in transparency with people. This is really good. This is really good. You see, if I'm not honest with myself, I create problems for myself. And I create problems in my relationship with God. You've got to be honest. You've got to tell the truth. But if I'm not honest with God, neither will I ever be honest with people. But how I do relationship with God will affect the way I do relationship with people. Now, look at the next verse. Hebrews 12, verse 15. Because I want to talk about what happens if I don't learn to peacefully navigate relationships. If I don't learn how to pursue peace, what's going to happen? Hebrews 12, verse 15. He continues, looking carefully. Be careful. Lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up would cause trouble. And by that root of bitterness, many people become defiled. You know, it, it just perplexes me 
that Christian people don't care about learning to navigate relationships. Doing what I do since I was a young man, I had to learn the hard way how to navigate relationships. I still learn about relationships over and over and over again. But if we don't learn to navigate relational challenges of life, it's going to create a lot of problems. And what the writer says here in Hebrews 12, 15 is, be careful. He says, don't fall short of God's grace. What it literally says is, don't be deficient of God's grace. God has given me grace, so I need to let that grace work in my life. Now, I want to take just one minute to stop here. We were singing the song earlier, this is amazing grace. You know, for for a couple hundred years, we've, we've sung the song, the hymn, Amazing Grace. But some of us see one side of grace. Well, God loved me. He extended grace to me. He forgave me. He forgot about all the wrong that I've done. And boy, I've received forgiveness. This is a wonderful thing. But see, if you read scripture and you study, God gives us grace, not just to to change our past. God gives us grace to shape our lives and start shaping our future. And one of the ways grace works is for us to learn from God how to deal with people in relationships. See, the way I conduct relationships should be an expression of God's grace. Let me say it this way. The way I do relationships should be the way that God does relationship with me. Let me, let me give you one little illustration of this. Zach always loves it when I use him as a sermon illustration. He hangs his head and starts shaking his head. Don't use me. And and my attitude is, well, I'll use you if I want to. I'm your father. (laughs) But when when Zach and his brother were teenagers, they, they went through, and young adults, they went through a season of having to figure out their own faith, which all children do. It's normal. You grow up with mom and dad's faith, and then you have to learn your own faith. And there were some days and some nights when I was struggling figuring out, okay, he's not, he's not doing life the way I did when I was his age. What do I need to do about this? And I was praying one night and I said, God, how, how do I deal with this? What do I do with these boys in this season of life? And God spoke real clearly to me and said, you need to love them the way I've loved you. Now that doesn't mean that God doesn't correct me. He does. But he lovingly corrects me. When I'm ready to listen, he speaks to me. The rest of the time, he just sits there waiting for me to run into a wall. When I run into the wall, then I'm ready to listen. So I learned from that. I waited until my boys were ready to listen to me. But he says, don't fall short of the grace of God. What he's saying is, you've received grace. Now you've got to learn to let that grace work out from you in the way you deal with other people. See, if we're missing this, we're missing half of Christianity. Did you hear me? If we miss this, we're missing half of our walk with God. Because first, it's loving God with everything we've got. And then second, it is loving other people the way we love ourselves. You see, I love myself enough to accept God's grace and forgiveness. So I need to love other people enough 
to extend to them the grace and forgiveness that God has extended to me. Boy, I like this. I, I need to write a book on this. This is good. How many of you buy my book? See, that's why I don't write a book right there. Nobody wants to buy it. See, once I've accepted God's grace, I have a responsibility to allow my life to be shaped by God's grace. You know, on one occasion, Paul wrote and said, okay, we've, we've received God's, God's grace. So what do we do? Continue in sin? He said, certainly not. We don't take God's grace to stay in sin and say, well, give me more grace, give me more grace, give me more grace. He said, we let grace begin to shape our lifestyles and extend grace back to others. That's how we live. You see, God gives us grace to change us. This is something we've taught for a long time, but I want to reiterate it today. God loves you right where you are, just the way you are. But he loves you too much to leave you there. He wants to use his grace to change you and make life better. And a lot of it's in relationships, first with God and then with people. And the purpose of God's grace is to teach me and lead me into a new way of living and a new way of doing relationships. And then in this same passage right here, He starts talking about something that's really, really important. And I honestly don't think we teach about this enough in the church. He says, if we don't correct this stuff, we'll get a root of bitterness growing in our lives. You know how you know if a root of bitterness is beginning to grow? Because it usually starts with resentment. We resent someone, we resent something that happened, we don't get it dealt with, we don't get it healed, we don't get it corrected, and the next thing you know, we got resentment. And then we start talking about it, and we start talking about it, and we don't do relationships well. And the next thing you know, we don't just have resentment, we have bitterness in our hearts. And I'm going to walk you through this. The writer here says bitterness is like a root. It sets in the soil... And then it starts going deeper and deeper and deeper. I am so glad I'm getting to the age in life where I don't have to dig up bushes and tree roots anymore. My wife does that. No, I'm I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm at a place in life where I'll budget to pay somebody to do that because it's hard work. But have you ever just taken out a bush that's been there a few years? Have you ever found out how amazing it is that there are so many roots and they go down so deep and it's so hard to get that bush out of the ground? I mean, trees are even worse. You start digging up trees and bushes out of your yard. It is hard, hard work. That's because you don't see the roots. And see, we've we've learned to mask bitterness because it's a root. We learn to put a smile on our face and we can keep people at distance. And as long as I can keep you at a distance, I can love you. Oh, I love you, brother. God bless you. God bless you. Hey, man, let's go to coffee. No, 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 I'm not interested in that. I love you. Why don't you want to go to coffee? Because I love you at a distance. That's why. If I get close, you may not love me. That's, that's what happens when bitterness starts living in our lives. But I want you to hear this. Life doesn't make me bitter. 
What happens to me in life doesn't make me bitter. I choose to be bitter. I choose to be bitter. And unsettled relationships oftentimes create bitterness in our hearts. And one of the things that maturity does, and this is what this whole passage of Scripture is pointing to. One of the things that maturity does, it causes us to stop and be honest and ask ourselves the question, how did this relationship become damaged or broken? How did it happen? Why did it happen? What's my part in all of this? What's my part in this broken relationship? Because if I don't deal with my part, all I do is blame others and bitterness grows under the surface because things don't get healed and paths don't get corrected. And it grows under the surface and grows under the surface and grows under the surface. And all of a sudden one day somebody says the wrong thing, does the wrong thing and bam, this bitterness springs up and it is alive and well and it's producing anger in my life. And here's the... Here's the craziness. If I'm bitter, I'm drinking my own poison. And I think it's going to kill the other person. That's how foolish bitterness is. I'm drinking the poison. I think he's going to die. And then what's worse is, if we get bitterness in our hearts, it begins to affect our relationship with God. We start holding people hostage. We start holding God hostage. And the next thing you know, we have this big space between us and God. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you can't forgive going this way with people, you won't receive forgiveness from me. That's what Jesus said. Jesus taught, those aren't the words of Gary, that's the words of Jesus. We need to learn to forgive as we've been forgiven so i just might need to correct the way i do relationships i might need to deal with the bitterness in my heart because bitterness will affect every relationship relationship with god relationship with people now if i let bitterness stay there bitterness tends to create a pattern for future relationships where we spread our bitterness and a whole lot of people get hurt And a whole lot of people get damaged. Infected is literally what it says. Infected with bitterness. And then finally, the last part of this message. My time's almost gone. Hebrews 12, look at verses 16 and 17. The last two verses. The writer here gives us an illustration of what bitterness will do to you. It says, lest there be any fornicator... Or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. Now, pause here just a moment. Because it's making a statement. If we don't correct bitterness, it opens up our heart to all sorts of stuff. Because if we can excuse this, we can excuse that. And if I can excuse that, I can excuse this. And the next thing you know, I'm running down a wrong pathway altogether that's been fashioned by my bitterness. It says, lest there be any fornicator, ungodly person with an ungodly lifestyle, or a profane person, somebody who's just nasty and hateful. That's what bitterness does to you. 
You can go to church. Oh, my brother, my brother. You can go to work. It's because we get infected with this stuff. But it says, now listen to this. Esau, for one meal, for just one meal, he sold his birthright. You know what that means? That means he walked away from everything he was supposed to get from God and from his father and his family and from life. He walked away from it all just so he could get one meal. What happens is bitterness begins to affect our judgment and we're not able to understand what's important and what's not important. And we'll sell our entire future just for one meal for a moment. And verse 17 says, For you know that afterward, When he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Afterwards, after he sold his birthright, it's not talking about repentance towards God. It's saying he could not go back and recover what he was supposed to get because he sold it all for the moment. You see, if you look back at the story of Esau, he made some poor choices. He sold his birthright, but then his brother stole his father's blessing that should have been his. His brother deceived. Jacob deceived his dad, got the blessing that was supposed to go to Esau. But the rest of Esau's life, he lived in bitterness because he could never go back and change the decisions he'd made years earlier. But in spite of his poor choices, now listen to this, in spite of his poor choices and in spite of his brother's deception, Esau still received a blessing from his father. But he couldn't come to peace with his family or the life he had chosen. Let me say it this way. Esau lived the rest of his life with regret because of the bitterness he had in his heart. It shaped his whole future. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart of man has always been a problem. The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. It means incurably sick. (laughs) Jeremiah said, who can know it? Who can know what a person might do under pressure? Who can, how can you really know what's in somebody's heart until they get in a situation where the pressure pushes them down and you find out what's there? If it's bitterness, it'll explode. Jesus said the heart is the source of all sin. He said what the hands do, where the feet goes, what the eyes see. It's not the physical thing. It's what's going on in the heart that causes the body to react the way it does. You know, broken relationships can cause me to become angry, resentful, and bitter. When that happens, it creates heart issues. My entire life is shaped by the anger and the resentment in my heart. Last little thing. David fell into ugly sin, deep sin. Failed himself, failed God, failed his whole nation. Wound up having a man murdered. When he got confronted by the prophet and he came to his senses, Psalms 51, 
He began to write out his prayer. And here's what he said in that prayer. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit, a right attitude in me. He said, God, I recognize I got something going on in here. It shouldn't be there. Change it. Purify me. Cleanse me. Because David realized, if I don't get this fixed, I'll wind up living a life of regret. I'll be angry at God. I'll be angry at people. I could, I could share some more, but my time's gone. I want to pray for you today. If you would just bow your heads right there where you are. Father, your word's so clear. When we get knocked down in life, we need to be honest and examine what happened and why it happened. We need, Father, to get healed. And then we need to create the right paths for our life. We need to get bitterness out of our lives and move forward with a godly perspective. And Father, I'm praying right now for everybody in this room, those who are watching online, those who are listening later in a podcast. God, help us to examine our hearts. And while we're doing this, God, you show us what you see. If there's any sin, if there's any deceit, if there's any bitterness there, show us so we can deal with that residue so it doesn't produce seed and take root in our hearts and in our lives and misshape our futures. God, right now, we just pray a prayer of submission and say, search my heart, cleanse my heart, purify my heart, show me what needs to change, and I'll respond to you. God, show us how to navigate life in our relationships with people, in our relationship with you, with honesty, sincerity, transparency, and purity so we don't fall short of the grace of God, but we extend the grace of God to everybody around us. Change me from the inside out. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Heads are still bowed for one more moment. Maybe you're here today and you've listened to this. You think that's great, but... I'm not really in relationship with God. We can change that right now. God put his own son, Jesus, on a cross to pay for our sins. That if we would accept his sacrifice, he would forgive us of our sins and bring us into relationship with him. Begin to change our entire life. But we need to respond to God. Maybe God's knocking on the door of your heart. Maybe you're sensing this is right and I need to respond to it. It all begins with a prayer saying, God, I need you. I want to lead you in that prayer right now. So if you would, right there where you are, heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're watching online, pray with us as well. But I'm going to ask everybody in the building to quietly pray this prayer with me. You don't need to yell it and scream it, but just pray it out loud. It'll help those around you. It'll help your faith. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, God, I need you. And I open my heart to you. Forgive me of my sin. I accept Jesus as my Savior. I choose Jesus to become the Lord of my life. I want to follow you. So teach me your ways. From this moment forward, you're my father. I'm your child. And you're my God forever. Thank you for receiving me. Amen. Hey, if if you prayed that prayer for the first time or maybe you're just needing to recommit some things to the Lord, if you've never really begun your journey with God, we want to help you start that journey. That prayer is not the end of the journey. It's just the beginning. 
We got a little booklet called The Next Seven Days. It's a tool to help you start building that relationship with God. When service is over, there'll be prayer teams on each side of the building. They're here to pray with you. Just walk up to them and say, can I get the booklet? If you just want to get the booklet and go, we'll help you out. If you want prayer or explanation of something else, they'll help you with that as well. But we want to help you get started walking with God. If you're in a really big rush, out in the lobby, right in the middle of the glass doors, you can stop by there. There's a counter set up. You can see the screen overhead. We want to help you get started walking with God. And today, we want to put our hands together and we want to welcome you to the family of God. God bless you. Now, the very last thing before we go today, we do this most Sundays this way. At the end of service, we worship God with our giving. We've already made a lot of announcements about things going on. I just want to share one thing. Uh, on the screen, there, it, there are different options how you can give. If you're in the building and you want to give a physical gift today, whether it's check or cash, there are envelopes in the back of the chairs. Grab an envelope, fill it out. As you leave the sanctuary here on each side of the doors, there's a giving station. There's also a giving station out by the children's check-in. I want to share one thing with you. A couple of Sundays ago, I told you we are connected with the ministry that works in the Ukraine there with churches. They also uh, have uh, an orphanage there. We gave you an opportunity to help minister to refugees in Ukraine. It, you know, it's happening all over the country, all over the world. People are reaching out to those who are hurting. It's an ugly time there. You're seeing the news every day. But I just want to tell you that the ministry we're working with, they sent me some pictures this week. Maybe we'll have them next Sunday. Uh, of what's going on in some of these bomb shelters and churches where they're housing peoples, especially women and children. But because of your giving, we were able to give $15,000 to help refugees in the Ukraine. So I just want to say thank you so much. I'm going to tell you something. If you understand scripture, that's good seed to be putting in the ground, helping other people in need. So God bless you. Hey, we love you. Have a great, great Sunday. If you can, stay around for second service. We're going to baptize a lot of people today. God bless you.